Hello, cryptonauts, and welcome back to another episode of Cryptocurrency Chat. I am your host, Blockchain John. On this episode, we're going to go over the crypto basics. So, this is going to be crypto basics number two because we've already done number one, now we're on number two. So, with that said, this is going to be for the new people in crypto and still trying to learn the basic fundamentals of crypto. So, I hope that this podcast helps you. And if not, then definitely reach out in Discord and ask us questions. Now we got a, a good community going and everyone seems to be very helpful answering questions, especially for new cryptonauts. Do not get scammed. That's the number one thing. Make sure you don't reveal your private keys or give them to anybody. All right. <laughs> That's like the main thing right there. So with that said, cryptonauts, enjoy the podcast with Jake Jabrelli and Colton Tucker. Stacks, hats, and huddle. Adios. Hello, Cryptonauts, and welcome back to another episode of Cryptocurrency Chat. Today, I have Jake Jabrelli and Colton in the house. Hello, Colton. I don't know if you can see us, but oh, actually, we can see him. Colton Tucker, he's there. Hanging out on the podcast. How's it going? Nice. Just shake your head like that. Yep. We're yeah, nice. <laughs> so we're, we're in Braveland once again because Braveland is awesome. And like I told all you cryptonauts, if you hadn't gotten to Braveland, definitely download Braveland. Check it out. It's really fun. Um, yesterday we had the uh, Ravencoin NFT auction. That was so much fun. If you missed it, there's a YouTube video out there. Um, it, even in Braveland, I just found out that they attached the video here in Braveland. If you if you come come by, you'll see the video uh, streaming on, on one of the screens here. So, anyways, we're here today to talk about uh, crypto basics. Jake, how's it going? I haven't talked to you officially in the podcast. You, you, do you have any updates uh, what you've been doing here in Cryptoland? Well, I, I missed the auction, unfortunately. I wish I had had this opportunity, but real life happened. Um, as much as this might look like it so i uh yeah i i've been doing things that are fascinating for me mostly having to do with mining my mining operations generally farms uh it's picking up steam it's finding more uh customers something i was not how do i put this exactly um a lot of what i did on my channel is just giving away information for free because it's something that interests me so i figured why not talk about it i didn't think that information and the comprehension that I had was of use to people. Obviously, people do watch my channel, but um, it's not something that I was at the time aware that people would be like, oh, yeah, that's awesome, or that's of value to me. And so I guess what I'm basically getting at is that I recently spoke with somebody who was absolutely stunned by how much information I knew about crypto, and he wanted to actually buy from me. I was like, wait, did I forget to monetize something? So I've come to realize that uh, I do. I do need to recognize my value in giving people information and not just give it away for free all the time. Obviously, this podcast, we're not charging anybody for it. I don't mind talking on here about those kinds of things. But um, do have knowledge of how to build and manage uh, crypto rigs. And that's something that I've come to realize people want to pay me for. That's awesome. Awesome, man. So things are going good then. That's great. Uh, do you have any plans on making any NFTs for uh, for Raven Ravencoin for these auctions coming up? So uh, the guys that are hosting the 
Ravencoin uh, NFT auctions, they said basically you can create your NFT. And keep in mind, NFTs only cost five Raven to uh, to issue. You can sell it. You can you can auction it off at one of the auctions for free if you want, and literally have 100% of the proceeds go back to you, or you can give 100% donations to the Ravencoin Foundation, or you can modify it however you want, 50-50, 20-80, 70-30, however you want, um, as long as you have an agreement there with the auctioneers. Uh, that's pretty cool. Keep in mind that no NFT, as of the first, the, the, this, this one that happened yesterday, none of them sold less than 350 Raven. That is awesome. I, I'm pretty sure yeah. next week there's going to be way more uh, NFTs being issued out. Yeah, that 100 Raven's worth about what $18 US dollars right now. Um, so that's it's not bad. Uh, what, that first one we watched in there was going went, went, went for 900 Raven, right? Yeah. Just shy of a thousand, so yeah. almost $200. Um, yeah. That's not bad. Well, uh, Tron's black NFT uh, sold sold for 9,000. Nine thousand. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and that wasn't wow. even that wasn't even the highest. Oh wow! I, I guess I do need to go back and watch it. Well, I guess <laughs> we can link that in this video, right? So people can go check it out. Cortana, you have it on your channel as a stream, so people can check it out there, anyways. Yeah, but that's that's just so that's just so amazing that people are doing this. Literally five raven. You can flip that and make nine thousand raven out of that. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, that would be more than all the Raven I currently have. That would be amazing. Yeah, because, I that's mean, that's a cool. picture of Tron Black. I don't own an NFT of Tron Black, so. <laughs> um, I'm sure that's going to sell a lot more in the future. Once uh, once, know, the we, once the word goes out, because already just with this video alone, there's a lot of people saying that they're going to join next week. So I'm expecting it to, to double up in size. And the more people there are, obviously there's going to be more Raven, uh, more liquidity available in these auctions. So that's pretty cool. And on top of that, we literally have a professional auctioneer. Yes. He's yes. <laughs> For that, I'm grateful that somebody actually they got got somebody to do that. That helps a lot. Yeah, it makes it so much more fun. Anyways, so we're here on the, on the podcast today. For those of you that are listening, we're sitting in Braveland, um, and we're here to talk crypto basics. So we're gonna start off with the first thing. This is all just from from memory. I don't have any any um, websites up or anything. This is just from my experience over the years. Crypto Basics, number one, wallets. Uh, my personal wallet that I have, actually, let me get my phone here. Hold on a second, be right back. Uh, actually, Jake, if you wanna take over. Yeah, sure thing. Well, I mean, with, as far as wallets go, um, John was actually the one who, I'd already seen this wallet before, but he was the one who really encouraged me to go um, much more deep into the idea of using it. Um, I, I don't know if it's a wallet in the it's, it's it's a, it's a place to store crypto. So um, Celsius is the one that Blockchain John has talked about multiple times. And if anyone's interested, the great thing about Celsius is they pay all your all your gas fees. And if you don't know what gas fees are, they're basically the transfer costs. So when you put coin in, obviously you got to pay the coin, put the coin in the first place, unless it was straight from a miner like I do. Uh, but when you transfer it out to go sell it, and we all know that Ethereum and Ethereum tokens right now are pretty expensive. So Anything you put on, it's on Ethereum blockchain in any way, shape, or form. If it's in Celsius, when you send it out again, they pay the fees. And to my knowledge, I think the last time I looked, they'd already paid something like $50 million in fees. Yep. So they're dead serious about this. Oh, yeah. But as far as like an individual wallet, John, you're going to talk about that? Uh, yeah, well, just continuing on Celsius real quick. So the, the awesome thing is that 
this is all built into their software. Obviously, there's not somebody there that's saying, oh, I approve this to be to be withdrawn. Right. No, they trust the community enough to actually have that built into the software. That's one of their things that they truly believe in is paying their customers' fees. So Celsius is awesome. That's one of them. That is a centralized wallet. Obviously, they want you to be part of their community and use their, their, their network. Now, a, a wallet that is more of your keys and your coins, it's your own wallet, you're pretty much your own banker. The one that I personally use quite often is the, surprisingly, the Coinbase wallet. I'm not talking about the Coinbase exchange, but Coinbase also has a Coinbase wallet. Um, I use that quite regularly. Why? Because it, it's integrated into my Coinbase account. The reason why I highly recommend Coinbase Exchange because it's so easy to on-ramp your fiat into Coinbase. And that's the biggest issue right now currently that we have with uh, crypto is that there's not too many exchanges that you can actually integrate your fiat or transfer your fiat into exchange, uh, exchanges. So what I do is I use Coinbase to transfer my fiat uh, uh, in, in, into my Coinbase exchange and then I either move it over to Coinbase Pro which there's no fees associated with that so you can transfer it over to Coinbase Pro and then buy some cryptos off of there for an affordable price keep in mind those fees that's what burns it, that, that's what burns your profits if you're buying it directly off the Coinbase exchange wallet oh man those fees are pretty high but if you move them over to Coinbase Pro they're much more more uh, manageable also, when you're done with them, I like to move them over to my Coinbase uh, private wallet. And those are my keys, my coins. Nobody can mess with those. Those are completely mine. Um, another wallet that I like to use is the Trust Wallet. I, 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 I also want to mention Zelcor, but Trust Wallet is another one. The reason why I like Trust Wallet is because they have they have a built-in features where you can uh, use your funds. Once you already transferred your, your coins into the Trust Wallet, they have the uh, uh, ADAP, uh, Decentralized Applications um, icon at the bottom, which you can use different exchanges, right? You can uh, jump into Ocean, uh, OpenOcean, Rarible, uh, PancakeSwap, Goose, Beefy, Uniswap, Compound, YieldWatch. There's a bunch, there's a bunch of, uh, Pool Together is another one. And if you want to play some crypto games, they have crypto games on there, and it's all integrated in the wallet itself. So that doesn't that, that means that you don't even have to uh, jump on your computer or use a different type of uh, 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 wallet. It's all integrated into the wallet itself. So I like simplicity, and Trust Wallet is one of those things that has everything integrated in it. Yeah, Keep, I have a Trust Wallet too. I use uh, primarily uh, MetaMask before I went to Trust, but Trust makes it just so much easier, for, especially for a newbie, somebody who's just getting into it. If you're really just beginning to learn how it works trust wallet's a good 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 way to go yeah yeah uh let's see another one is the zelcor wallet i wanted to bring up zelcor specifically they they actually just updated their uh their wallet uh and a lot a lot of wallets are doing that so don't be surprised as as a new crypto not that there's new updates going on that's perfectly fine the reason they do that is because they're either updating the blockchain on the back end which is pretty cool about these wallets is that a lot of these companies actually hold full nodes of each of these blockchains and then we use them as a mirror to get access to those blockchains. So they make it so simple for us. So instead of having uh, 50 different blockchains um, downloaded into my computer, I use services like Zelcor 
that has all those services already there. They, they've done all the hard work. I just used the wallet as an access point to uh, gain access into those blockchains. So it makes it so much easier. It makes it so lightweight for, for it to be downloaded onto my phone. And it's easy to access that. So Zellcore, the reason I use Zellcore specifically is for the Ravencoin assets. So other than the QT wallet, which is uh, the, the Ravencoin core wallet, which is a few, uh, I think it's like less than 200 gigabytes, but still, that's that's a few, that's, that's quite some, that's a lot of gigabytes, right? To keep onto your laptop or your desktop. Uh, but using Zellcore wallet, you're pretty much just downloading the app, which is just a few, what, megabits? Not, it's a very lightweight, and it allows you access into the uh, Ravencoin blockchain, and it gives you the accessibility to utilize the asset function. Now, there's very few wallets out there, to my knowledge. Mango Farms being one, the Ravencoin QT wallet being another, and the Zellcore wallet being the third. Those are the three major ones that I can think of off the top of my head that allows uh, users like me to access the those uh, those assets. So if I want to move assets and gain uh, gain access to those assets, Zellcore is probably the most easiest and lightweight versions of the wallet that I can use. Um, yeah, so download Zellcore if you're, if you're thinking about getting into uh, Ravencoin assets. Zellcore is the best way to do it. If you're deciding on making your own uh, Ravencoin assets, then you definitely have to download the Ravencoin QT wallet. And by the way, it is so, so, so easy. No coding necessary. You literally have to have 500 Ravencoin. You're going to burn those. You're going to create your uh, your uh, your main asset. And in turn, uh, I highly recommend that you upload an image of whatever coin you're trying to create into IPFS. And then take that, uh, take that hash or that... Uh, it's a hash, right? Or the address and link it into your um, into your uh, Ravencoin assets, and then issue it, and that's it. You create the number of w how many you want to issue, and then you got it. If you want to create a hundred, awesome. If you want to create twenty-one billion, awesome. There you go. It's so easy. All yep. right. Yeah. I, at some point, we'll probably have to link out, particularly on this channel, uh, to the how-tos that Mike will be making for us in the future, if he hasn't already, on how you exactly make your own asset, how exactly you issue, how you send an asset. They're not really complicated tasks, but it would be really helpful for those who are listening going, that sounds great, how do I do that? Well, this isn't really the place for that, but we can definitely link out to it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, private keys. Private keys is very, very, very important. I learned from my mistakes that your private <laughs> i'm sure everyone has at one point or another private keys are very very important the, the moment you create your own wallet means that you are basically your own banker your own exchange per se your own western union your own company you are the central of everything once you're the owner of your private keys to your wallet you are responsible for it all Take your yes, private that, keys. This, this is, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Take your private keys very seriously. Save those. Do not tell anybody about those private keys. Do not show them on a, a YouTube video. Do not do anything that's going to compromise your private keys. That's very serious. I mean, it's, 
it's a security factor, but it's kind of like, unlike it's your house or the, your key to your car. I mean, I guess a, a car key would be probably be a closer example. So often when you buy a car, you get two keys. Um, if you lost one of those keys, fine, you got a backup still. You lose both of those keys, you ain't getting in your car. I mean, you can have a, a you know a professional come out and, and you know open it up in some way that they know how, you know, by sliding the, the slim jim down into the car window to pop open the door. But it's not nearly as easy, especially with modern cars, things like Teslas and whatnot, or or higher end vehicles, to get into the car in that old fashioned way. Um, and when it comes to crypto, there's no way in. No one can jimmy your car and get the thing open, or in this case, your your wallet. Once you lose those private keys, you are dead in the water. Tell them, John. Tell them exactly what happened to you. <laughs> I've, I've lost my private keys a few times. Uh, and I pretty much, I, I look at the blockchain, and I can see my cryptos just sitting there. They they go up in value. They go down in value. They go up and down, up and down. It's just one of those things that I can't do anything with it. I just, I just see it on the blockchain. see that stuff that you once owned, well, technically do still own, but can do nothing with because you lost the private keys. Yeah. So don't lose your key. Write it down. Tattoo it somewhere. Basically, <laughs> don't get I wouldn't say it tattoo it. I would not do, say tattoo it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's one way of not losing it. What, right? what I would say, this is so if you're going to move, make sure that you put your private keys in a vault or somewhere very secure, not mixed up with a bunch of other junk that you're going to be moving around, because that's what I did when I when I moved. Don't and I threw everything in a box, and then I tried to find <laughs> stuff, and I tossed a lot of things away, and I probably tossed away my private keys. Uh, yeah, lesson learned. Make sure you take those private keys very seriously. Yes, and, and per John's comment earlier, um, on my YouTube channel at one point, I did actually um, post my private keys just for a second, but it was long enough for people to pause the video and steal them. And go into my Ethereum wallet and take all my money. Um, so, yeah, don't show someone else your private keys because if they know anything about private keys and they're crypto people probably watching your channel, they're going to know how to steal your stuff. Now, just because you have a lock and a two-factor passcode on your wallet does not mean they cannot take your coin. Private keys are the keys to the kingdom. They give access to everything. So don't show them to anyone you don't trust. And basically, you just shouldn't show them to anyone at all. Yeah. Any other wallets are you you're using, Jake? Actually, Colton, Colton, uh, any any wallets that you're you're using, or are you an experienced cryptonaut, or are you new? I see you're sitting here next to us. How you doing? Uh, okay. What did he say? Uh, he hasn't said anything yet. Okay. But I, completely new. Okay. Completely new. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, welcome. For welcome. Joining us here in Braveland. Nice. Um, but right, yeah, what else about uh, but one of our audience members here sitting at the desk not, not, a, not a bad thing at all um, the next thing we were talking about was lightning network as I recall uh, lightning network so bitcoin has this functionality that you can uh, it's, a, it's a second layer well, it's an off chain network so let's see if I can explain this very simply lightning network is like two customers at a bank there's 100 people in front of them to try to get to the front of the line. 100 people behind them to get in line. You and your business partner trying to do an exchange. It's frustrating. It's going to take you a long time. you got to pay fees. Uh, and that's I, I'm trying to make a comparison to what blockchain is, uh, the main blockchain. It's frustrating because you're going to pay fees. The awesome thing about Lightning Network 
is that you can literally walk out of that bank or walk away from the blockchain and go into Lightning Network or sit at a table in real life and you and your business partner can literally have a checkbook. Jay can have a checkbook. I can have a checkbook. We can sit here. I literally have $100. He has $100. Jake's providing services to me. I'm going to write him a check for $20 every single month, right? Until obviously he has all my $100. Now he has $200 in his, his checkbook. The bank does not know that I have paid him all these checks. But the moment that he walks into that bank and cashes those out, that's verifiable, verifiable proof that I wrote these checks to him. That's more or less in the most simplest term that I can explain how a Lightning Network works. Does, does that make sense, Jake? Was that easy enough? Well, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a real-world example. So a person can, like, I mean, assuming a person already understands the very bare minimum of the concept of Bitcoin in that it is an exchange network as well, but you're basically saying that all the transactions that are on the Lightning Network sit on top of the Bitcoin network and are like the bank, but as you were saying, sitting at a table separately, all the transactions are still tra traced. It's still something that someone can look up the transactions like they can on Bitcoin. It's just going to be through the light Lightning Network. But the reason you made the analogy to, light to Bitcoin is that Bitcoin or uh, Lightning is in conjunction with Bitcoin, just not on the chain. It's, as you say, off chain. So um, if the point was that, you know, the, the, the Bitcoin network itself is pretty slow. Uh, it can take up to 10 minutes to well, actually take longer than that, depending upon how much your fee you pay is. Um, but it can be pretty slow and pretty expensive to transfer money on the blockchain network. But if you do so with um, Lightning Network, it can literally be instantaneous, or at least it'll seem like instantaneous. Um, and you can transfer smaller amounts or larger amounts and not have to worry about the, the slowness of Bitcoin and the cost of Bitcoin. Yeah, Lightning Network is super, super fast. It's, it's basically instantaneous. I remember yeah, when... the name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lightning, exactly. I remember when I used uh, my first Bitcoin ATM... Uh, over in, where was I at? I think it was in San Jose, somewhere at one of the malls here in San Jose. Um, this was years ago. And it was so frustrating because, yes, you have to wait 10 minutes for a block to be uh, discovered. But in order for those funds to be fully transferred over into your wallet, uh, the minimum had to be six blocks, had to be totally... Uh, discovered so that's literally 60 minutes an hour I had to wait an hour sitting there next to that ATM to make sure that uh, those coins went into my wallet that's frustrating imagine if I went to a store to try to try to buy a soda I have to wait an hour in order to have that soda lightning network is literally well, I snap my fingers they trusted you enough to take your money temporarily but yes or you know they're like uh, yeah we'll just we'll just yeah in an hour the money will come in <laughs> yeah but literally, Lightning Network, I could snap my fingers. That's the that's the exchange that just happened right there. Boom. That's how fast Lightning is. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. So you I, can still transfer Satoshis or Bitcoin or something through Lightning Network and uh, get your coin immediately instead of having to wait the 10 minutes to an hour that the Bitcoin currently takes. Obviously, one of the things that it, and I can't believe I'm the one saying this, that uh, you should do is read the Satoshi white paper. <laughs> Bitcoin, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bitcoin white paper and understand the, pr the primary purpose, which is stated by Satoshi Nakamoto in this paper, is that 
Bitcoin is more of a store of value, kind of the way gold is. Gold is a store of value. You know, we all know that gold has value. We all know we could technically exchange gold for goods and services, but nobody really does that anymore. I mean, unless you take it to a we buy gold store. Um, and so you could hold gold and you could probably in an emergency situation exchange gold for something else that you desperately needed. But most people don't accept gold in you know, most places that sell things, you know, a grocery store, you wouldn't be able to take gold in there uh, unless that person were willing to accept the gold for themselves and then put you the bill with their own money. So gold is a good place to store money. Well, so is Bitcoin. Bitcoin's a great place to store money. In fact, as many companies like Tesla have discovered, buying $1.5 billion in, in Bitcoin, um, it's a great place to store money. The problem with that is, at least as, a, as it stands right now, is you can't, actually not the problem, but the advantage, sorry, the problem with gold was, is the advantage with Bitcoin is you can ex still exchange Bitcoin. Now, the detriment, if there is one with Bitcoin, is it is this time to transfer. So um, there is kind of an analogy to gold that Bitcoin has and that Bitcoin was that. But the whole point of the white paper that I was trying to get at its purpose is it's a storage of value. So people recognize that's the reason Bitcoin is worth over a trillion dollars on the market right now is it is a store of value. Um, and that is the, the whole uh, kind of purpose. And then all the other subcoins or altcoins off of Bitcoin are all trying to vie for similar purposes but at the same time be more useful than bitcoin is alone yeah currently the uh total market value right now is at 1.9 trillion dollars everything though that's yes. all coins not right. just bitcoin right bitcoin is uh 1.63 trillion dollars wow 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 that's a lot yeah the total the total uh, wait it's 1.063 not 1.63. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so 1. it's just, just north of a trillion. So it's one one trillion sixty four billion, um, which is still pretty impressive that it's it's almost half of all crypto out there. Yeah. All right. I think that was enough on that. How about uh, POW and POS? Right. So um, rather than just using their acronyms, let's just say what they are outright. POW as proof of work and POS, which is proof of stake, not piece of crap. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, you know, shite. Um, and it's not prisoner of war, a piece of, piece of stuff. Uh, but yeah, so what, what's the point of even talking about these two acronyms? Um, well, they have to do with crypto mining in particular. All, well, almost all coin is mined in some sense. Talking about the difference between work and stake. So work and the POW is physical machines like GPUs and ASICs and, and CPUs doing actual computational work to solve the blockchain equation in order to get another block. Uh, and then proof of stake, which is still technically considered mining, although it's not work mining, it's stake in the sense of you stake a certain number of coins like Ethereum's trying to move to in the Ethereum version 2.0, in that you hold, according to theirs, 32 Ethereum staked for a really long time. I think it's minimum a year. Um, and then as long as you hold that 32, you are given a node. And then that node becomes a way of uh, justifying and qualifying uh, any transactions that are sent through it. So the advantage of proof of stake over proof of work is that in 
in staking the coin, which you have to hold on to, so right, the current price of, of Ethereum at about $2,000 a piece means you have to stake basically $64,000 of value in order to do that proof of stake function. But you can get uh, the ability to basically mine, in effect, coin and authenticate blocks for no power cost, which is a huge cost of proof of work. So all these Ethereum machines or Bitcoin machines or whatever they happen to be doing right now are taking up millions of megawatts of power throughout the world. And, and this is one of the discussions that's been going on lately is that it's very harmful for the environment uh, if you're not using renewable uh, electrical energy sources uh, to, and even so, it's still using up power that could be used for something more productive, right? Uh, with proof of stake, there's no power cost. Well, very little power cost compared to proof of work, which is, like I said, probably one of the biggest drains on the on the network grid in the world right now. Uh, so the, the, the argument, at least right now, is why not go to proof of stake because you don't have to do all this physical mining, but the argument in the reverse is, well, without proof of work, how do you know that those people are being legit? Well, they obviously had to stake, at least in Ethereum's case, $64,000 before they could start doing proof of stake. But if, let's say, you had somebody with millions and millions of dollars had staked multiple nodes, how do you trust that person? How do you trust those sets of people to be authentic? Well, you have to make sure that there are enough nodes of people who aren't working together. To it. But then that's, there's also that factor when it comes to proof of work. Well, if you, I'm, I'm not going to try to put down China by saying this, but China has a lot of people who are doing proof of work right now, a lot of them, more than any other country. And if they had more than half of all the people who were doing proof of work and they all work together as one, they might be able to take over that that coin and and then become the sole authenticators to that coin. And then how would you know that you could trust it? So the ideal we started out with with, with cryptocurrency, which is the source of you know, all the coin itself, was that the uh, authentication would be by multiple nodes of people who were, weren't associated directly with each other. And that's the way it currently is. And that's the reason we don't have 51% attacks happening all the time. But the getting away from proof of work, which is you know a heavy electricity cost, uh, over to proof of stake, there's still a question of authenticity. So that, at least in my experience, is the reason proof of work versus proof of stake is even a question right now. And especially for me, since I'm a miner, a physical miner, I actually do physical you know proof of work. Uh, if proof of work goes away, particularly on the Ethereum chain, which it will eventually, um, Will that what what will I change to? How will I make money off of my mining machines? Well, that's a question. I have to figure that answer out. I haven't I haven't yet figured out an answer. Ravencoin might be one way. <laughs> you know, uh, from my experience of, of what proof of work and proof of stake is, proof of work is obviously you got all the miners, all the ASICs, all the computers worldwide mining, uh, trying to solve these algorithms, these, these very complicated mathematic, mathematical problems. It's so far one of the best algorithms out there that show that you've actually earned your, your part in securing the network because in trying to find the answer to this algorithm, what you're also doing is you're providing security to the network. As a reward, you're rewarded a certain amount of Bitcoin or a certain amount of ETH, um, what I don't like about proof of stake is that literally whales, a, 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 a big company out there can literally just buy up millions upon millions of Ethereum and stake all these ETH and become 
the majority of nodes. That to me is, is my is my issue is that as people start to and this this is actually what happened to Steemit when Steemit got bought out. A lot of a lot of nodes out there everything was decentralized and then proof of stake happened and Steemit the community in Steemit got very frustrated because there was a, a consensus mechanism built into it that if the majority of people that were staking their uh, their Steam can make decisions of where the community is going to go. Unfortunately, the community did not agree with that, but because the community did not have the majority of stakes or, or their coin to stake uh, in comparison to this big giant conglomerate that jumped into the network and says, hey, we're going to take over. We're going to do what we want. I don't even care what you think. That's a big problem. That's showing mega centralization. And the whole point about blockchain is to become decentralized and have a community uh, unite together in making decisions, not just one entity. And that's actually my fear about Ethereum's proof of stake is that as we migrate over to that, it's already shown over and over again in history already. You can look back in history through Ethereum and Vitalik Buterin and the company itself is that they've already made a lot of decisions that the community disagree with. Heck, we already have uh, uh, Ethereum Classic. That actually happened because there was a a, a forced uh, um, fork from the Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. Yeah, the original Ethereum uh, algorithm to what Ethereum is now. Yep. Yeah, and and did it, Vitalik care what the community uh, um, wanted? No, Vitalik held the the the, the keys and decided, hey, we're going to roll back. We're going to do a reverse transaction. And we're going to fork it. That's the biggest issue that I have with moving to proof of stake is that now we're moving further and further away from decentralization and more into a centralized entity, which is giving more more power to those people on top. I don't like that. I don't like that. That's the reason yeah, why need, I we really... We need distribution, right. Yeah, that's the reason why... The purpose why... Of, the, of the coin was to do it decentralized and it, it feels like they're just going back to a centralization of it. Yeah, that's the reason why I like uh, proof of work and why I like Ravencoin. Ravencoin is staying proof of work indefinitely. I I haven't heard anything about going to proof of stake, and it's it's mentioned very strongly over and over again that there is no intention to move to proof of stake. So Ravencoin is one of those things that I really like. And on top of that, there's not a there's not a centralized company that has taken over everything, right? There is a, a recently created uh, Ravencoin Foundation, but this is all by the community. The community, like for example, yesterday we had a Raven NFT auction. The reason they're doing this auction is to have fundraisers for the foundation. So that just shows you another thing is that there wasn't even no ICO. There was no pre-mine. There was no fund set aside for the Ravencoin Foundation. This is all people just giving their their money, their Ravencoin, to the foundation to continue development in the blockchain protocol. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. It's always a question. We have to work together if we're going to make this work out. So we were talking about exchanges. Is the other topic, right, John? Yeah, you're, you're too quick. I was trying to go back and see what <laughs> see what we're going to talk about next. Yes, exchanges. <laughs> Exchanges. Now, Jake, what, what exchanges do you use? I know that obviously I did mention uh, Coinbase. Coinbase is an exchange. It's one of those exchanges that does have bad rap. And the reason it has bad rap 
is because when when crypto fluctuates by by more than like 10% up or down, there's always this issue where Coinbase shuts down. Right. I mean, let me let me just stop you. I get your point, but I'm gonna def- I'm gonna play devil's advocate, or in this case, Coinbase advocate, uh, and say it's not their fault 100%. This is the same problem that we saw with the GameStop, Robinhood thing that happened here in the U.S. not that long ago. I don't know how many people are foreigners logging in here to, to uh, Braveland, but um, or of listeners on your channel. But let me just be clear: the SEC requires that a certain percentage, if not all, of the coin that you're backing on your exchange be backed by real fiat. So if there's a run on something where the value goes up a lot and people start selling it, you know, trying, converting back to fiat, you have to have enough on hand in order to back all that exchange. This is the liquidity thing. This is the reason DeFi became so ridiculously popular. DeFi provides the liquidity automatically to decentralized exchanges. So you don't have to worry about things like Coinbase even existing or having to follow the SEC's dumb rules. I mean, I'm not saying they're 100% dumb, but they're based on something that was made in the 1930s. And they're certainly this 80 or 90 year old concept is nowhere near what it is today. So in order to defend Coinbase, I'll say that the reason they slow it down or cut people off when there's a huge jump up or down in coin is they don't they just can't afford it. So not their fault. The reason they seem like a bunch of jerks is because it's the SEC that they're a bunch of jerks. And I know that the purpose of SEC is regulation, but honestly, the SEC is not just a couple years behind. They're many years behind, as, as stated by these ancient rules. Just look at Bruce Fenton's Twitter feed. You'll see what I'm talking about. He's a huge advocate, especially for Raven. Um, in any case, uh, there are lots of exchanges out there, probably thousands. There are big ones, and you can you can go to CoinGecko and check out. CoinGecko is not an exchange; it's just a place to list coins. Um, but it'll show you what all the big markets are. Binance is one of them. Binance has a gargantuan share of all the um, exchanges that's going on there. I think it's above everyone else by at least ten percent. Um, after that, Coinbase is one of the big ones as well. Uh, another one, Hotbit's another one. Uh, I used to use uh, Yobit. Yobit's been around for ages. I also used Bittrex. In fact, Bittrex was the very first exchange I ever had access to. Um, there are, oh gosh, what, uh, Coinex. Um, I'm trying to think of the other names right off the top of my head. Uh, well, market cap, Coin Market Cap is just another list. It's not actually a uh, an exchange. Um, but there are okay. So Kraken, Kraken is one. Whole number of listed exchanges. If I go to if I go to CoinGecko and look at all their current exchanges, there there's Binance, Coinbase, Pro, Kraken or Kraken, uh, Bitfinex, uh, Binance US, Crypto.com, Gemini, Huobi, uh, I can't ever pronounce it. Um, Huobi, Huobi, Global, Huobi, Huobi. Thank you, Huobi Global. Uh, KuCoin, OKX, FTX. There's just so many. Bitstamp, Bittrex. These are the ones that I've known. NiceHash is another one. Even uh, where I mine with HiveOS, they actually are an exchange. It's a small exchange, but they do have one. Anyways, you can go and look in there, and they have how much money goes through each of the exchanges. I would say stick to an exchange that does over a billion dollars a day. Um, their 24-hour volume. Like I said, Binance, at least when I'm looking at uh, 
uh, CoinGecko lists Binance 24-hour volume at like $30 billion. It's, it's by far the largest. Yeah. Um, and Huboy uh, is, or Hubi is, how's that name? Uh, <laughs> is also like $10 billion, $10 billion annually. Uh, or pardon me, not annually, per day, <laughs> per diem. Uh, Bit4x, about $8 billion, at least today it was. So there, I would go with a big exchange if I was going to go with any exchange at all. But I, personally, I use Bittrex because I've been using it for a really, really long time. Um, Crypto.com is another one. It, I, is it, no, Gemini. Gemini is the one that's, that's owned by the, the, the Winklevoss. Uh, what are they called? Uh, Winklevoss twins. Um, they're from Facebook, if you've seen the movie. Um, anyways, the uh, there are a lot of, of exchanges out there, but it's good to go with one that, at least with the way that uh, CoinGecko rates them, I rate them on a scale of you know 10 to 1. Something that's got a 10 or a 9 score is probably something you can, you can realistically trust yeah. to hold your money without disappearing. Like, if anybody knew about this back, was it 2012 when Mt. Gox was taken down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Mt. Gox uh, was a, an exchange from, like I said, eight years ago, eight, nine years ago, and they were crashed and destroyed. And I think Kraken was actually uh, Kraken was actually destroyed, too, at one point. They made a comeback, fortunately. Um, but... Uh, I've been on at least five exchanges that have all gone under and have never come back. Uh, and it's it's disappointing because you think, well, why wouldn't they protect themselves? Well, of course they want to protect themselves. They don't want to lose all their money um, because, I mean, all the money that they have in, the, in their accounts doesn't belong to them. Yeah, yeah not only <laughs> that, all the, the losses that they have to go through. Yeah, exactly. It's a huge loss uh, problem, a big, big, big problem. And actually, that's the reason they get targeted to be taken down in the first place. It's not necessarily because they're necessarily doing something illegal. Sometimes they are. But uh, a lot of the time it's because they get attacked because, you know, people who want money are going to attack banks. Banks have always been attacked. These aren't banks. They're exchanges. Uh, Wall Street ex- is an exchange and it's exchange for fiat and, 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 and uh, stock. And it's been attacked multiple times. Yeah. Um, so there's obviously reasons why a an exchange would exist and they'd want, you know, why, why there are so many of them, according to uh, CoinGecko. There's almost 500 exchanges out there. Um, and it's because they know they can make money by charging people a fee to exchange coin. Yeah, as long as they can, um, as long as they can secure the network, then that's that's pretty good. I, I, I have nothing against centralized exchanges per se. Obviously, there's a couple of little things that just grind my gears. But like I said, Coinbase is a great uh, exchange without a doubt they have a lot of a lot of products uh, and it's easy to unwrap your fiat into crypto and that's for somebody that's very new yep. getting into crypto don't know where to start I think Coinbase or Gemini or even the cash app the cash app is another one that's so simple to buy Bitcoin but that's the only thing you can buy on cash app is just Bitcoin uh, but something like Gemini um, and Coinbase those are so easy to use uh, you convert your your fiat into uh, into crypto. What's another one? The other one was a Bittrex, right? The reason I wouldn't, I would well, yeah, Bittrex is one. But the reason I I liked Binance when it first came out, they they've always been Hong Kong based. Well, unfortunately, Binance, at least unless it's Binance US, for a US user, you can't use the original Binance because Binance won't let you on. And obviously, we're not going to um, called uh, validate. You know, doing this illegally and going over to uh, you know a VPN—that is a way that a lot of Americans will get around the rules of the U.S. and the rules that Binance have created in order to still trade on Binance. And that's the reason Binance created Binance.us. But then, of course, all the features—or not all the features, but a lot of the features that are available 
to non-U.S. citizens on Binance are not available on Binance.us, and that's because the U.S. has different rules. Sadly enough, rules that are pretty ancient and archaic and, in my honest opinion, sometimes pretty stupid. But it, it was in the interest of protecting money, right? One of the things, let me just give an example, of the, an off example. Um, one of the problems you run into when buying on things like on Alibaba.com is, is the trust factor. If you're going to buy something from Alibaba.com in gross bulk or in small bulk, and the reason I'm even talking about this is something I do, um, you have to find out if you can trust that vendor. And that's the problem that the U.S. has with non-U.S. vendors or non-U.S. exchanges is they don't trust them. And is that rightfully so? To some degree, that is true. They're, the interest that the exchange tends to have in general is that they make sure that they're not doing something that's going to scare away their investors. They don't want to do something that's going to make people not want to be there. Some people are still going to be there anyways. But problem that the U.S. has been struggling with in particular is not understanding what crypto is and basically cracking down on it and making it trying to fit the old format, which it doesn't fit and it will never fit. But because they're scared of it, they're trying to make people be regulated and turning almost all crypto into securities, which they're not. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say this now. I don't find stating this factor up front, unlike my previous, well, faux pas statement when I said that Bitcoin would never go above 25,000. <laughs> um, that if the U.S. decides that all crypto is securities, there will be some kind of revolution. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that a lot of people will fight against it because it will destroy crypto in the U.S. Right, yeah. And crypto didn't explicitly come from the U.S., but it was a brainchild of the freedom of the idea of the West. Freedom for the West developed these ideas and it's ironic that we're also at the same time you know basically undercutting and, and completely cutting off the, the ideals of this freedom concept i'm not saying it should be freedom to do things that are illegal we need to change the rules so they're not illegal now i'm not talking about immorality of course we should be moral but just just not just locking something down because it doesn't fit your your paradigm doesn't mean it's wrong so um, there's plenty of things out there that don't fit the, the standard paradigm. That doesn't mean they're, they're immoral. So I don't think crypto is immoral. It can be used immorally, but anything can be used immorally. You can, use, you can use your car to crash into a person and kill them. That's immoral. Does that make the car immoral? No. So, uh, awesome, the, man. I, I like when you go off the, these, 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 these very thoughtful rants. It just, it just comes out so, so nice. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but in any case, what I'm trying to get at with this, and I do want to segue to our next topic about decentralization of, of, of exchanges, yes. is that uh, just because the system doesn't understand the thing we're doing doesn't mean it's wrong. And that was one of the things you see in Silicon Valley where I used to live. There's a lot of upheaval from, from um, Washington, D.C., about about Silicon Valley because Silicon Valley was doing things that the old establishment didn't like. But Silicon Valley has been doing that since it started in the 1950s, late 1950s. Um, that was the reason they were even there was to get away from the conformity of the East Coast of the United States where people just couldn't make proper innovation. They moved all the way across the country to, to San Francisco's South Bay and did new things to try to get away from that old false 
conformity idea. And they've broken a lot of rules over the years. You can look to Facebook or Google or Uber as examples. Crypto is yet that next revolution that is breaking the norms and making people get upset. So um, anyways, let me get to the next point, which is centralized exchanges are obviously useful. And we've named the, th the few that we trust. And if you want to look at the rest of them, check them out on, on CoinGecko. It's a great place to find out where the uh, uh, current exchanges are. But in order to get away from, yet again, the problems of centralized exchanges, we'll talk about decentralized exchanges, John. Yes, absolutely. Now, Uniswap was probably, to my knowledge, the first decentralized exchange that was very, very successful in being what it was created to be, which is an exchange, but decentralized, meaning that there is no centralized company or entity or person that actually owns it. Uniswap is just a protocol built with liquidity dumped into it. And if you want to buy a certain type of crypto, if it's in, if it's in Uniswap and there's liquidity available, you can buy that and swap it out. And, and, and that's how it works. And ever since then, there's been a bunch of other decentralized exchanges like, uh, was a sushi swap, uh, pancake swap, you even got one inch compound is another one, zero X protocol. Uh, what else? What else? There's a bunch of and other food. Other, there's a bunch of them. There's out a there. bunch there's of so them. many different names. Yeah, there's tons um, of the them. ones that we, we know best curve and on curve finance. Um, but Uniswap, pancake swap, sushi swap, curve finance, and then one inch and zero X protocol uh, and, and compound. I should include that as one of them are probably the most well known. Um, of the centralized uh, finance or decentralized exchange types. Um, and let me see if I can explain this further since I've been doing it now for about mm, a month and a half. Uh, the liquidity concept, as I think I explained just a little earlier in, in the podcast, is uh, it's all about making available coins to trade. So let's say we pick some really uh, obscure coin like uh i'm gonna use the one that i use many times new york coin new york coins worth almost nothing i think it's less, worth less than a satoshi it's so ridiculously low and there's part of the problem with that is not only is it worth nothing so nobody wants to trade it but there's not a whole lot of people interested in trading it so you've got two problems here how do you solve these problems well what would new york coin trade to well it typically trades to doge because doge and new york coin are both done on script algorithms so Doge is a relatively popular coin. A lot of people know it, and it's got a pretty decent value. So it was you create a liquidity pair. That is, you literally buy some Doge and you buy some New York coin, and then you squish them together into a pair. And then you, once you've made that liquidity pairs with their low sets of whatever amount of coin, they have to be equal in value at the time you put them together. So let's say you bought uh, $20 worth of Doge and $20 worth of New York coin, which would be different actual values, but the the actual total value would be equivalent to itself. And then you stake that pair in a pool. That's what these pools, these Uniswap, PancakeSwap, SushiSwap, they have liquidity pools. You stake that there. Then other people who want to exchange those two coins from one to the other use the liquidity that you have now provided. Now, in order to incentivize people to do this, and obviously there is a need for it, people want it, but how do you incentivize people to want to do that, right? Other than just being, people being altruistic. Well, you pay them in another token. So in particular, they have liquidity pairs with a token tied to that pair. So when you buy that pair, they give you a token for it. 
Thank you. Thank you for buying into this pair. Well, they also put them into pools. The more money in the pool and the more interest in the pool, that is people interested in putting more liquidity pairing in, pairs in rather, um, drives up the interest value in that token. So I'll give an example. I've used PancakeSwap, and that's on the Binance Smart Chain. It's a Binance-based, not an Ethereum-based um, pairing system. And uh, there's, a, I won't go into the details. It's actually rather complicated as to why we're going with Ethereum versus Binance or vice versa. Um, and that is once I pair, let's say the two I was using recently was uh, Cake and Binance Coin. And I paired those two, two together and I put the, the coin in a liquidity pool and they were like, well, we're so interested in you doing this. We'll give you 100% uh, annual percentage yield. Means your APY is a hundred percent. Now it fluctuates depending upon the usage, but that was the in, that was the payment intrigue, like the interest. This is why we're instead of being an altruistic gesture, we're saying we'll give you a hundred percent APY on this token. Just put the coin in in a liquidity pair, so that you'll want to do it. That's the incentive. Is this huge uh, APY? So of course it did it, and it it seems to remain relatively consistent. Like when I joined, it was at 150% APY. Now it's down to about 98% APY, but I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, it was, I wouldn't, I didn't put a lot in. I think I started with like 20 bucks, but um, one of the disadvantages and the major disadvantages that most people don't talk about is that when the coins that you have paired together go up or down in value. So let's say New York coin is still hardly worth anything, but um Dogecoin goes up in value. As soon as one changes but the other doesn't, you lose value. As soon as one goes one direction and the other one goes down, you lose value. So if it ever doesn't like change together, the liquidity to two coins that you created a liquid pardon me, liquidity pair from don't move simultaneously together, you lose value in that token. But the of course, as I said before, the reason for incentivizing you to do that by paying you a high interest rate on the token you're receiving. So even though the values may have changed, you're still getting 100% APY or 150 or 300% or 500% or whatever somebody decided to, hey, the dog's barking. We <laughs> <laughs> must be trying to do a podcast. That's um, the podcast dog. Uh, anyways, the I'm not trying to make this super complicated. If anyone's listening in and going, still don't understand, I completely get why you may not understand after me trying to explain the liquidity concept but at least from uniswap you can just invest directly in the token itself the uniswap token or the cake token or sushi token and and skip all the liquidity trying to figure out how pairing works and that in one sense i know that when uniswap first hit the market when they did their airdrop um i think the price was initially eight dollars per token and some people who joined were given an airdrop of 400 Uniswap tokens to start. If you just did any liquidity at all, they'd be like, here you go, here's your 400. Think about it, that was $3,200 just for free, right off the bat, boom, there's 3,200. And there were plenty of people I saw who put way more in and got tens of thousands of dollars out. And just remember in the very beginning when Uniswap was first started out and the price was, like I said, $8, it dropped down to four, dropped down to two, dropped down to one. You know where it's at now? price of uniswap right now um 29 dollars 29 dollars and it's number so, it's number eight so if you'd kept your 400 airdrop uniswap tokens <laughs> it'd be worth 
almost four times what it started out as. I'm sure some people did. Uh, about $12,000. It's, it's just really proving the value of liquidity in tokens and in, in crypto. So That's crazy. Um, DeFi, the DeFi concept can work anywhere. Not with literally everything. Anything that already has like a liquidity concept tied to it or it is liquid of a sort, it can work with. They probably couldn't do it with cars. Um, cars aren't very liquid. Um but the value of cars or the way that you, there are certain things that you're easily exchangeable, things that are fungible tokens, that's liquidity. If you have something like that, you can pair two pairings together and make it easier for other people to trade the coin. Awesome. That's where DeFi is going. So I, I could, I could do hours on this topic and I don't really want to. That's nice, man. I, I, time. You, I could not have done better than you, man. Cause you have the experience. I haven't really dabbled myself with, <laughs> with Dex's, but it's nice. It's nice. I think you explained it perfectly clear. Uh, Colton, do you agree? You're sitting next to us. Does it make sense? Shake your head. Yes or no? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Looks like it's a yes. He does, there you go. Does at least some somehow understand. Maybe, maybe he's going to get himself into be the next uh, DeFi millionaire. Oh, there you go. Exactly. So he does understand. Great. Cool. So he's completely new. If he understands, then that means the cryptonauts out there listening to the podcast should understand if you have any questions you can definitely reach out to us in the discord channel cryptocurrency chat uh jake let's go ahead and close this up where yep. can they reach you um, so or you what's guys your can check me out on jake jabberelli on youtube that's that's literally i have a, a custom uh youtube name you can get me there um i can say i definitely don't have a lot of subs but it's mostly because i've been concentrating a lot of things that are offline um uh, i've got my farm i'm running i am starting a new chapter in that farm uh selling uh rigs people now that we have uh functional tools that people can get into so i will start plugging that more on this channel um now that is something i can do but uh, yeah you can catch me on jake jabberelli at youtube or uh, jabberelli.com or jabberelli attack.me is my email if you want to email me with any questions you have so that's all i gotta say back to you john all right colton since you're new you can definitely check us out in the discord uh channel cryptocurrency chat also you're officially going to be on the C3 Media YouTube channel. So awesome! Thumbs up to you for being a participant in our in our Brave Land uh, podcast. So with that said, check us out in Discord, uh, the podcast Cryptocurrency Chat or Anchor.fm/slash Cryptocurrency Chat. With that said, thank you for being on the podcast, Jake and Colton. With that said, Cryptonauts, stack sats, and hodl. Adios.